0: What I'm talking about today is something that he put in me based on something that I had said uh, recently during the That Kingdom Thing series, and I want to grow from that. This is not part of that series. As far as I know, this is a standalone message. This is not a part, again, a part of a series. But I know that in it today, I'm very excited and have been very excited about sharing what I'm going to share. I met with two of my sons this week. And one of them over coffee, another one just sitting, uh, well, actually at lunch, and we were sitting there two different times, and I asked them the question that I'm going to be asking you in a moment, because that's what's in me. It's what I'm thinking about, what Holy Spirit has put in me to consider. And I go back, and I want to say that the word consider is probably the most important word In the English language, because it forces us to think about what we've heard and come to a conclusion. We have to come to a conclusion. When we hear something, we have to decide, do I receive that or don't I? Is there anything in that for me or is there not? And we have to make that decision. So the word consider, that is something that we do, A.J., every single day. In every single conversation you have, in every conversation that happened just a moment ago as you greeted people, something about whatever may have been said, or maybe unsaid, every single person considered something within the last five minutes. Every single person. In fact... If it wasn't about the person that you hugged or greeted or shook their hand or whatever, if it wasn't about them, simply when I said something about the Bible app, you had to consider immediately, do I want it or don't I? Do I think it will be beneficial to me? When I said something about the podcast, you immediately considered, will I listen or won't I? Is it as important to me as it is to him? Everything you hear, the word consider is the strongest word in the English language because it forces us to make decisions that will one way or the other impact our life. So today I want you to again, whether you want to or not, you will because it is what happens. As I preach, I'm asking you to do what you have no control over and that is to consider the words that I'm going to speak. You will have to consider them. You cannot refrain From that, And I want to ask you a question that I asked these sons that I met with because if we can lay hold of what I'm going to teach today, in its simplicity, if we can lay hold of it, it can do an incredibly deep work in every hearer. So would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 15 this morning. Matthew chapter 15, and I'll tell you which verse in just a moment. But Matthew chapter 15... And I want to look this morning at a, new, at a subject with new eyes. And the subject is simply this, the most important part. Say this with me, the most important part. Most important part. So I want to speak to you about this subject, that most important part with new eyes. I want to help you see this from a different place, and I want to begin by reading in Matthew 15, but before I do that, I'm going to pray. So, Father, I lift my voice over this congregation. Those who are watching online, those who are today watching right here from the seat uh, in this auditorium, and I pray that today by your word and by your spirit, as we gather together, that every eye will see and that every ear will hear. I pray that today that you will enter in and that you will strike the heart of every single man and woman, every child, every adult, every grown person, every grandmother, every grandfather, those well and those not well at this moment. I pray that you will strike and touch the heart and speak into the heart of every single here. No matter what the background, no matter how much religion might exist there, no matter how much uh, lack of faith might exist there, I ask that you touch the heart of every single person. If they love you or they do not, touch the heart of every single person. If they're listening to what is being said today, as each one considers, help them consider the truth. Help them consider the truth in it today so that you are glorified. Not man, but you. Not man, but you. Not man, but you. Today, Father, we lift you up. We exalt you in every single way. We lift you up before all men. Every single person today will know and does know that you are highly exalted and above you there is not another. In that, help us to receive well what your intents and purposes are for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, in the English Standard Version, it reads like this. It says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion on the crowd. Say that with me. He said, "I I have compassion on the crowd. Thank you. Because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I am willing to send them away. I am unwilling to send them away hungry. Say this with me. I am unwilling. unwilling. Say it better. Say it like this. Jesus said, said, I am unwilling unwilling to send them away hungry. hungry. Thank you. Lest they faint on the way. Now I want you to put it all together and say it like this. Say, Jesus said, said, I I have compassion on the crowd, and I am unwilling. To send them, send them away hungry. Thank you. So what is the backstory story leading up to Matthew chapter 15 verse 32? The backstory story of this chapter is he had just healed many people. We don't know how many people, but there were a lot of them. The crowds had gathered and he healed everybody that had come. And he had just healed all of these people as you lead up to verse 32. In fact, Scripture describes it as a great crowd. We don't know, again, how many. It's irrelevant. What matters is that as they came... He healed. That's what leads up to this story. Now they're gathered together with him because they've been healed and because there's some interest there. And now they're hungry. So in the middle of their hunger, after healing them, he does another miracle, and a miracle, and that is that he feeds, in this story, 4,000. He feeds 4,000. So the first miracle was that he healed those who came. Everybody say, he healed, he healed. those who came. And then when they came, they were hungry and they stayed. They could not leave him. They wanted to be around him. If he can do this, what else can he do? So they listened as he taught and as he shared and no doubt shared parables that we don't know about in this particular chapter at this point. But he shared and he taught and he, he broke things down and, and caused what was obscure at one time to suddenly become visibly cl- very clear. So he began to break these things down. So he had healed them because of interest and because of the miracle of that. They gather around, they hang around him for a few days and, and he realizes, fellas, these folks are hungry. They've been here for three days. They've run out of food. They didn't plan on coming here and hanging around for three days, but they won't leave. They won't leave because it was so phenomenal what happened earlier. They're not going to leave now. They're unworried. They're they're not concerned about eating. They don't want to miss something that might happen next. So, It's a pretty sure bet in the middle of all of this, though, that like most people, certainly those who are churched or those who have grown up in any kind of church, whether it be in, in, it doesn't matter the background, doesn't matter if Pentecostal, Baptist, uh, Methodist, uh, it doesn't matter. If you grew up with any level of teaching in any kind of church at all, it is a pretty sure bet that like most, you would consider that the most important part of Christ's miracles is the miracle. Would that be true? I asked these sons that I met with this week, and I asked them that simple question. I said, what is the most important part of this story? And I shared a couple of stories, and I'm going to do the same with you right now. So I want you to, in your mind, I want you to think about what the most important part is. I've kind of segued you into not answering incorrectly, but there's not necessarily an incorrect answer. There, whatever your answer is, that's correct for you. I just want to change what's correct for you this morning. I want to redirect your correct answer. So I'm going to ask you a question. So, Jesus comes to the prostitute, where we don't, let's just assume, the prostitute woman who's about to be stoned. And she's going to be stoned, and they're getting ready to do all. And Jesus says, uh, listen, what are you doing? Well, you don't know that this woman's, a and I'm paraphrasing big time. But he says, you don't know, but this woman's she's a prostitute. She's sleeping with these folks. She's an adulteress and yada, yada, all this is going on. And Jesus says, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. The woman gets up. He says, I've forgiven you. They find no fault in you and neither do I. What's the most important part of that story? Don't answer. Just think in your mind. I'm going to give you a second. What is the most important part of that story? Let's go to another story. So there's another story where there's a woman at a well. Christ walks up to the well. She's getting water, or he asks for water. And when she, he's standing at the well, and, and he begins to speak to her about the natural condition of that water, and he says to her, and again, I'm paraphrasing. I'm breaking down a lot uh, for the sake of time. But he says to her, he says, so let me ask you a question. Um, if this water will take care of you today... Wouldn't you be more interested in water that you can drink and you'll never thirst again? But sir, where might I find that water? And he begins to tell her the story of her life. And he begins to share with her where she's been and who she's been with and how many times she's been with them. And in the middle of all of that, she says, I see, I sense, I perceive that you are a prophet. Oh, and he says, yes, I'm a prophet, but I'm more than a prophet. I'm even more than a prophet. And then she goes away and Scripture teaches us that she runs away and she goes to town and she begins to tell everybody that she knows and she tells them, Will you come with me? I want to introduce you to somebody that knew everything about me and yet I did not know him before 30 minutes ago. What's the most important part of that story? What is the most important part? When Jesus walked up to the tomb of Lazarus, and he goes up to the tomb, and there's people that are gathered all around, and they're weeping, and they're, they're, they have accepted that Lazarus is dead. He's clothed in his... Uh, uh, he's, he's been wrapped and been whatever they do for dead people. He did all... That was done. He's in the tomb. And he gathers at this tomb, and when he gets to the tomb, he questions them, and he said, Where's your faith? Well, he's dead, sir. He's been dead for three days. And he said, Lazarus, I want you to get up. I want you to rise up and I want you to walk. But sure, sir, surely by now he stinketh. Lazarus, come out of that tomb. What's the most important part of that story? Jesus walks into a temple. And he walks into the courtyard of the temple. And there's money changers that are exchanging birds for money and things for money. they're selling, buying and selling in the temple. They're buying and selling under the pretense of you need this for your sacrifices, but it wasn't about the need for the sacrifice, it was about their need or their want of money. Yeah. The sin wasn't that sacrifices were being provided, the sin was that the intention, the motive was incorrect. Yeah. So he goes into the temple with a cat of nine tails, he begins to beat the snot out of all of these folks, turns over the money tables. What's the most important part of that story? I want you to consider this this morning. I want you to consider what is the most important part. Think of any miracle that you want to that Jesus did. Any moment where Christ in Scripture that you are aware of or I am aware of, think of any moment that you want to right now, and I want you to cast your eyes upon that moment or your thoughts upon that moment, and I want you to ask yourself, what is the most important part of that, in that particular Story, Because in all of those stories, again, it's a pretty sure bet that you, like myself, so many times, we put our focus and the emphasis on the wrong part of the story. Our focus and our emphasis on what Christ does is misdirected, not because we know better, but because it's all we know to do. We've been taught what to look at. We've been told in churches when we consider the things that Christ did, these are the things that we need to focus on. He's a miracle working God, He's a healing God, He's a resurrecting God, He's all of these things, a Christ. And all of those things are true. Is that right? He he definitely raises from the dead. He did Lazarus. Is that not true? He definitely sets the captive free, just like He did the the, uh, uh, adulterous woman. Is that not true? He definitely turns water into wine like He did at the wedding in Cana. Is that not true? He can definitely walk on water. That's a miracle. Is that not true? But what is the most important part of all of these stories? And I want to go back to Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. And it says, Jesus called His disciples to Him. And He said, You are gathered to Me today. These people are gathered to Me today. They are gathered around Me. They've been here for days. And they're hungry. He said, I have compassion on the crowd. The most important part here is he says, I have compassion on the crowd. I'm going to point out two things this morning in just a few minutes. And I'm going to point these out. And the points that Christ make, both of these, points that I'm going to make about what Christ did, will lead to a specific thing that I believe ultimately... Under every circumstance, and you know what it is, you just don't know you know what it is. But that's what he's looking for. So what Christ saw and what people see, or what Christ sees and what people see, they often do not align. See, what Christ does is he sees through conditions and sees possibilities. Let me go back to some of these stories that I ask you to consider. So let's go back to the adulterous woman who was about to be stoned. She's about to be stoned because she's an adulterous woman. And by law, that's the price you pay for doing what she did. So the condition of her life is she's a prostitute. She's an adulteress. She's sinful. The condition of her life is a woman without Christ. Everybody say a woman Without without Christ. This is the condition of her life. Probably this morning, right now, watching online or maybe in this room, there are people, the condition of your life is that right now, your condition is that you are without Christ. Doesn't mean you are without knowledge of, just means you are without the nature of. So, here's a woman that is there and the condition of her life is she's sinful. The condition of her life is she she could justifiably be stoned. But when Christ came up, and our focus would be on what an amazing miracle for Christ to come in and to say to them, in His wisdom, and we focus on the statement He makes, let Him without sin cast the first stone, and we think, oh, how phenomenal that statement is, and He, he saved this woman because of that statement. But I'm going to ask you today, why did He go and why did He rescue this woman? Don't answer but in your own mind, it's rhetorical. Why did he rescue that woman? Again, when christ I'm going to tell you. When Christ approached her, and when he came into this situation, her condition was irrelevant to him. The fact that she was sleeping with someone she shouldn't be was irrelevant to him. What was relevant to him was the possibilities... That he saw within her. I'm going to go back to a message I preached some time ago. Referenced it a moment ago about the numa of God, the breath of God, that part of God. The numa of God isn't just air; it is air with purpose. It is breathing purpose, not just breathing oxygen, H two O. It is breathing, or uh, whatever. It is breathing. It is breathing. <laughs> if you're breathing H two O, let's let anyway stop. Breathing air isn't just, that isn't the pneuma of God. Breathing the purpose of God is the pneuma of God. And what he saw in Mary, what he saw in this woman when he walked up to her was, I see something in you. I look past the condition and I see something in you. The point wasn't even that encounter had nothing to do with an opportunity to say to those men or remind those men that were about to stone her, how sinful they were. Because he did that. He said, if any of you don't have sin, then you throw the first stone. Well, they couldn't because they knew they had sin. His purpose wasn't to reveal sin in them. His purpose wasn't even to come in there and to say to this woman, today you need to receive me. His purpose was to let her see that there is another way. He said, I see the pneuma of God in you. I see possibilities in you. And I want to look through the condition and I want to touch the possibility. So what's different about the compassion on the crowd that Christ had and the compassion on the crowd being her that you and I would have? See, the church world as a whole, we see conditions and overlook the possibilities. We are so quick to see conditions. We, everything's conditional. I, I can tell you when we first started the Rock of Central Florida, before you could even be on this platform and play a trumpet or play a music or sing a song or do anything like that, you had 90 days or I don't remember what it was now, but it was some law we had written. You had to be six months or 90, whatever it was, before and faithful and in all of these things, before we'll ever let you stand on the platform and blah, 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 blah. And I'm so glad for the day I came and repented of that. And I can't tell you, I mean, just not too many months ago, we had a man that walked in on a Sunday morning, repented that day, and got up here and started singing and rapping. Never saw him again. But we did what we didn't even know to do, and we saw through conditions and saw possibility. Are you hearing me today? So what is the most important thing? The most important thing is not the conditions. And that's the, that is what the church makes the most important thing. It's the conditions. And Jesus said, that's not the most important thing to me. The most important thing goes deeper than that. The most important thing gets into the pneuma of God. And the pneuma of God is something called relationship. Within the pneuma of God, within the purpose of God, there's something called relationship. And ultimately Christ said, you know what? A lot of people, they're going to stone you. Everybody will stone you because of the conditions of your life. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to resurrect you. They're going to stone you because of your conditions, but I'm going to resurrect you. Now, see, here's the problem. If Jesus walked into most churches today or most places that say that feel like we're Christ-like, he would walk into most places today, and I trust that it's not this one. Um, I trust that it's not in your life and my life, because if even one of us feels this way, then all of us are guilty of the same. So he could walk into any place today, anywhere, and if he had done that exact same thing, if there was a, a woman or anybody that had been living in sin and it was worthy of death, immediately our mind, we begin to do what I said a moment ago, we begin to consider all of the ways we think they should, the journey they should have to walk out before they're considered redeemed. We immediately begin to, through our channels of tradition and our, and our hallways of previous thought and teaching, we begin to justify and begin to assume what we think they need to do before they're actually really, really redeemed. So most churches today, if Christ walked in there and He said, let him who has no sin cast the first stone, said, woman, if, if they don't find uh, fault in you, neither do I. If they do not condemn you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I recognize your sin But today, I'm looking past that and I'm seeing possibility. And what was the amazing thing that happened in her life? Every step of the way in the rest of the New Testament, you you will find her with him. She never leaves his side. Because he saw past the conditions. I'm telling you today, listen to me if you're in this building or if you're watching online and it's a word to me, as much as it's a word to you, we got to stop looking at people's conditions and see the possibility that is present in them. Now what does that mean? That means it's a journey. But Matthew 15 said he has compassion on the crowd. It doesn't mean that I accept what other people are doing. I can tell you that Christ did not look at her and say, in fact, we know He didn't. He said, go and sin no more. He didn't tell her, you know what, Forgive forgiving you this time. Go and keep doing what you're doing. It'll be okay. Stay your course. He didn't say that to her. He said, lady, go and sin no more. And you know what? She was smart because she realized, the only way I'm going to go and sin no more is if I stay real close to you. Because I know you won't sleep with me. Is that true? So she said, I'm going to stay real close to you. But he looked at the possibility and the potential. He sees through the conditions and he sees the possibilities because he has compassion on the crowd. He, here's, the, here's the thing. When Christ has compassion, let me try to insert this thought I had uh, today that... I don't even know if it fits right here, but I think it does because he, he ta- this is where I felt it was supposed to be inserted, this thought. If you put two people side by side, there's one person that wants to fix the things in their life that are broken when they come to Christ. They just want just fix the things that are broken. There's a lot of good here. Just fix what's broken. Then there's another person that comes to Christ and says, recreate me. And Christ might say, you might sense, you might feel, you might consider for a moment. You know, there's some good things there too, so I'm just going to hold on to the good things. But again, the person who comes to Christ and says, just fix what's broken. See, the problem with that is that when Christ has compassion on the crowd, the most important thing to him is that he doesn't fix what you think is broken. Because, in fact, can I just say it this way? Oftentimes, likely... Some of the things that we think are broken in our life, He actually wants to use for His glory. So some of the things you're saying to Him, fix this part of me. And He's saying, that's the last thing I want to fix. It's this part over here that you think is so good. You hear me today? So He's saying... So here we go, you got this one that says, hey, you know what, here I come to you, Christ, I'm coming to you, Father, and I just want you to fix the parts that's broken, you got another person that says, just recreate me, make me all over again, what the Father wants to do is, if we give him the opportunity to totally recreate us, our mind, put your hands on your head, Father, recreate my mind today, reset, reset me, reset, push that reset button on me today, push, I want to see, I want to see today through the conditions, say it with me, I want to see through the conditions the most important part is the purpose, the possibilities. So what happens is the father says, I don't want to, because if you just let me recreate, if you just let me fix those broken parts, you're never going to be able to walk out the full possibility. And I just wonder if sometimes some of us, we don't come into the fullness because we're just, we just keep reminding him, this part's broken, I just need that fixed. And the father all along is saying, it's not broken. <laughs> that is actually perfectly what I need. What's broken is the part you think is perfectly what you need. So the best thing that we can do is do like she did and we come to Him and when He says, Go and send no more, we come to Him and say, Recreate me. I want to be... In fact, isn't it interesting that He uses the phrase in Scripture, we talked about this again recently, but being born again. Nicodemus, it's important that you are born again. What, well, you mean I can go into my mother's womb and come out again? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're going to be a brand new person. When you receive me for the everything that I am, you will be a completely new man. You'll probably never sit in a tree anymore. Because you won't, you'll, what I do in your life will change you so much you won't have time to sit in a tree. I'm getting the wrong guy in the tree. But follow me. If you will follow me, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus is who I was thinking of. You follow me. Trust me. You will never sit in a tree again. Everything will be different. So, there's one who wants to fix what's I think is broken and one that says grow me into something completely new and I'm telling you when Christ has compassion on the crowd what he wants to do is he wants to rebirth you she was never again viewed as an adulteress she was never seen that in fact people were in awe of her when he was on the cross who was there when he was dying on the cross who was there people were in awe of this woman who suddenly became a spokesperson for the glory of God because he completely changed. He saw the possibilities and he said, because you trust. I had compassion on the crowd. The most important thing isn't that I, got, I delivered you from adultery. The most important thing isn't that I saved your life from stones. The most important thing is that I rebirthed you into your fullness. so in the middle of all of that does Jesus ever disappoint see because when we think about if he has compassion on the crowd does he ever disappoint has Jesus ever disappointed anyone just not say yes or no has he ever disappointed anyone you're afraid to say yes or no absolutely he did In fact, I'll read it to you in John 6.15. John 6 is my favorite chapter in Scripture because John 6 has everything to do with relationship. There's no better chapter in the Bible that deals more with communion between God and man than John chapter 6. In John 6.15, after feeding now, in this case, 5,000 people, he says this, perceiving that they were about to come and take Christ by force. Perceiving, John says, that they were about to come and take Christ Christ by force to make him king, what did Jesus do? Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Perceiving, knowing that they wanted to make him king, he went away so that they could not. Do you think they were not disappointed? We know they were disappointed, and we know they were disappointed because now those same people that wanted to make him king were beginning to figure out a way to put him on a cross. In John chapter 6, before he crossed over the bridge of offense, when you get down to verses 53, 54, 55, 56, and he begins to say, I want to tell you what it is to know Christ. It is to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. And he says to them, do you have any problem with that? And the next scripture says, and many of them walked with him no more. Because they could not accept, did Christ disappoint? He disappoints those who are looking to Him for the wrong reasons. He disappoints those who are looking for Him to only be a miracle worker. He disappoints those who are looking to Him to only fix what they think is broken. But He is life to those who say, All in all, I want you to see through my conditions, and I come to you with everything I change all of me. He wants in every way what is best for you even when you don't know what that is. The most important part is He is unwilling, going back to John fifteen thirty two, He is unwilling to send you away hungry. If you knock, He will answer. If you seek, He will not hide from you. Christ is always more interested in relationship with you than he is in doing a quick fix of your issues. People come and they sit with me and they, I just had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone. They come to me, well, I just, I feel like that, um, you know, I'm not sure that the relationship's right because I still have these things that I'm challenged with, I'm struggling with, I'm trying to get through these things. So I just don't know that I even have a relationship with Christ and my comment was to them was well that's a shameful way and a difficult way and a wrong way to consider what relationship with Christ is because none of us come to Christ and we meet him and then suddenly we are some perfected human being is any among you perfect is there any among you when you look around this room is there anyone in this room that you have an expectation to be perfect and if you say me I'll be the least perfect of all not intentionally. Just depends on the day. Because whatever Adam has left in me, I'm still plowing through that in faith the same way you are. So Christ is always more interested in the relationship that he, than He is in the quick fix. And I can tell you when people come and they say, well, it just doesn't feel like I'm, I have the right relationship with Him. It is, it's because you are judging it from the wrong perspective. You are judging your relationship with Christ on when you got up this morning, did you feel heavenly? I say to people in marriage counseling, I say it to every single couple. Every time I do marriage counseling, I'm going to say it to my daughter and soon-to-be son-in-law. I'm going to say it to them. I'll say it today. You're going to hear it twice. I say to every single person I counsel before they get married, I say to them, there are going to be days you're going to get up and not feel in love. There will be mornings you'll get up and you just won't feel in love. It won't feel ooey-gooey. but it doesn't change the fact that you're in love there's going to be days when, you, when it doesn't feel as special as it did the first day when you realized I'm married Woo! can anybody relate to what I'm talking about no one wants to raise their hand you can lie against the truth if you want to but you know I'm telling you the truth because marriage has never been about love. Marriage is about commitment. It's about word and spirit. Love is a nice addition. But if we're Christ-like, it's about more about purpose. More about fulfilling what He called us to do together. You can do more in commitment and you can do more with purpose than you'll ever do with love. Love's not a bad thing. Don't, take, don't, don't be casting love out of your marriage. Love, I cast you out. You're in the way. No, it's not in the way. Lord have mercy. I'm probably going to have to come back to this on our living married. But he's always more interested in our relationship than he is in a quick fix. I'm trying to teach you something today, and I want you to hear what I'm telling you today. What's the most important thing? What's the most important part when Christ comes? It's not the condition of a person's life. It's the possibility that they have within them. That they don't have, you don't have the people that you have despised might very well be the person he's going to use to lead you. Think about that for a second. The person you have said, man, they're going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> might be the very person that the Father raises up to lead you. They might be your Paul. Paul. In John 11, verse 25, it says this, Jesus says to this woman, I am the resurrection and I am the life, and whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he will still live. Jesus again says where he is unwilling, the most important part, part section 2, part 2, whatever you want to call it, is he is unwilling to send you away hungry. Unwilling to send you away hungry. Remember all these people came to him from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he has said, I am unwilling to send them away, fellas, hungry, I have compassion on them, and if they are hungry, I will not send them away. The most important part isn't, how many more miracles can I do? Chalk them up. How many are we at? 99? Okay, let's see if we can get 150. It isn't about that. In fact, he, he detested the fact that they came seeking miracles, instead of relationship. In John eleven twenty-five, 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection, and I am the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. And then in Hebrews... 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. I inserted a little statement here, not upon your words, but I'll put it here. It says He, is a, he rewards those who, with growing faith, seek Him. Relationship. Listen to what I'm about to say. In fact, write it down in your notes. Relationship with Christ doesn't come because you have faith. Hear me today. Get this. This is going to cause some folks to consider because you're coming from a religious background. It's going to cause you to have to consider what I'm about to say because you think everything's based on faith, beginning to end. But you have to be willing to accept that there were days you didn't have any. What would you do then? And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, everybody say believe, believe, that He exists. And that He rewards those who, with growing faith, seek Him. There's a separation here. He, he, defined, he very clearly defines the difference between believing in Him and with faith, growing faith, seeking Him. Relationship, write this down, doesn't come because you have faith. Faith comes because you have relationship. Again, relationship does not come because you have faith. Instead, faith comes because you have relationship. You have faith in what you believe in. How do I make that plain? If I think about today... Let me use this example. It's probably not a good example. We just had an election. It was just decided, I think, yesterday or whenever who the president was going to be. Like him or not, like them or not, like the way the election turned out or not is irrelevant. What's irrelevant about it is that they are not in control of your life. So don't let your days get weary and long. Don't, don't, don't be upset about it. If the guy's not in office you voted for or if the guy is in office that you voted for, stop over-celebrating, stop under-celebrating, don't mourn the loss, and don't celebrate what you might consider a victory because I'm going to tell you today... At the end of the day, if that's where you put your lot, that's how your life will be determined. But if you put your lot in a Christ who saves and resurrects and delivers and sets free and sets apart, your lot will be good. Amen? Amen. Certainly. I, had, I voted just like most, well, probably most of you did. I voted for a particular candidate, whether my candidate won or lost. At the end of the day, he will not determine my outcome. That president, no president, will ever determine what the outcome is for Steve. In other words, let me put it this way then. I believe, let me separate belief and faith. I believe we have a president. But I do not have faith that he can change anything. Not because it's Joe Biden. Not because it's Donald Trump. Not because it's Barack Obama or George Bush or Ronald Reagan or whoever else. I believe we have a president, but I have no faith that they're going to change anything significant in my life that matters. Because while they have rule over a domain that is shallow at its best, they do not have have rule over the domain that is the kingdom of God that dwells in a son. So again, relationship doesn't come because you have faith. Faith comes because you have relationships. So he says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must first believe that he exists. When you came to Christ, you knew, just like we all do, John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's always interesting that word should. Should not perish. Just because you believe doesn't mean you won't. There's a lot of people out there today that say, I believe in Christ and they say they're Christians and they act like Christians and they do all of that, but they have no faith. And without faith, He is not pleased. Without faith, faith is determined by what am I viewing? How am I living my life? Am I living it conditionally? Or am I living a life purposefully? Well, How am I living this thing? Are you hearing me today? The most important part is seeing what is right. So this is what happens. First, we believe that God exists. First, we believe that Christ is the Son of God. And He leads us to the Father. But then what we have is with growing faith, because we believe and we take one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. I was talking to one of my sons this morning before service and I told him when I first got saved. I had a lot of thoughts, but I couldn't put those all together. I didn't know where I was going. I knew very little. But the more I dug in, what I, into what I believed in, the more my faith began to increase. The more I submitted myself under the authority of the one I believed in the more my faith began to increase. The more I came to have faith in the one in whom I believe, the less I required miracles to continue serving Him. The most important part of my relationship with Christ stopped being that He could fix my debt or deliver me from anger or whatever it might be in your life, alcohol, pornography, whatever might be present in you. My relationship was less focused on that and it was simply because you are the Son of God and I want to have relationship with you. You are the Redeemer. And if the relationship is right, if I get through that belief and into that faith, I can tell you the most important part becomes that He and I are what we sang about this morning, joint heirs. And He is able then to do miracles in me that I wasn't even asking for. Miracles follow our ability to be blind to the condition. But wide awake to the possibility. Miracles come because we come to the place through faith in Him that we are blind to people's conditions, even our own. And we become very aware of the possibilities. So what do we do with all of this? And how do we draw into this? And what does this mean? And when I use those two statements, he has compassion on the crowd. He is unwilling to send anyone away hungry. Those who are coming to him and they're searching and they're looking. The woman with the issue of blood that came up to him and and she touched him. He'd never met her before. He'd never seen her before. Had no idea who this woman is. And he says, who touched me? Who touched me? Something happened. I felt something flow from me. What what occurred? Well, sir, there's a lot of people out here. There's thousands of people wrapped around you. What do you mean? Who touched you? No, somebody touched me and it made a difference. Somebody touched me that had conditions but were less interested in their condition and more interested in simply knowing me. They did not touch me to be healed. They touched me to know me. A lot of people in this crowd as I'm walking down the street are touching me because the lame man wants to walk. A lot of people are touching me because the blind man wants to see. But I don't sense any virtue leaving my body. I don't sense anointing. They may be healed, but it's not putting a draw on me that digs deep. So the very best that they're getting is a thimbleful. But somebody just touched me and sucked it right out of me, everything that's in me. Because they weren't interested as much in their healing as they were in knowing me. So he had compassion on the crowd. He's unwilling to send anyone away hungry. I'm going to tell you the most important part today is this for you and me. It's that we have compassion on the crowd. What does that mean to you and me? I'm going to tell you if I lined up a group of people, I wish I could have done it. If I'd have thought about this, I would have done it. I would have, went out. I would have gone out there and grabbed about 10 of the most reprobate folks I could. And I'm telling you the truth. And, I'll, and I would do it. And you, if you know me, you know I would. And I would have just randomly picked out ten people. Oh, okay, you're in a ditch and you're drunk. You can't even stand up. But I'll drag your butt in there and I'll stand you up in front of the people if you'll let me. And I'm going to find that hooker. And I'm going to find the whatever other drug addict. And I'm going to find the pimp. And I'm going to find... And if I could have lined up ten of them in here. And then said, now tell me what you see. What do you see? I'm asking. I line them up out here and they're up here. They're cussing at you. Man, I mean every word words you never even heard. You didn't even know. They just created it. They gave they they found a word that's on another level of foul. And they're calling you that and your mom and your daddy and your brother and your sister and me and God and everybody else and they're standing up here across this building. What do you see? Jesus had compassion on the crowd, and he said, "I'm not sending anyone away that's hungry." Now, here's the thing: those ten people, before you can ever, you can't find out if they're hungry until you find out, find it, figure out where your focus is. Yeah. If all you look at is, "Man, I can't believe Steve Parker brought that guy in here," yeah. <laughs> honey, get the kids, slip out the side door. <laughs> this place is no longer safe. They're no longer doing God's work. They let them in. He no longer has discernment. Honey. He no longer sees. Let's get the kids. We got to find another church next Sunday because he just let all kinds of trouble in this place. And if that's what you see, if that's what you see, when you look at this one, the homosexual, the drug addict, the pedophile? I Go ahead and put them in categories in your mind right now. This one's bad. Wow, that one's really bad. The murder. The thief who stole your favorite saved coin? Go ahead and categorize them. What do you see? I just lined them all up in front of this room. The one in your mind you think about, I want you right now in your mind, think of the worst possible case you can think of. And I want you in your mind, how, what, what, would you, what would you see? And I'm going to tell you what you'd see right now. You would see exactly whoever that person is or whatever that condition is that you just put there, that's what you would see. You know why I know that's what you would see? Because you just created that in your mind. You just thought about it. I said, what, think of the worst person. And you, in your mind, you thought of the worst person because you judged them by the condition. You just said, this condition is the worst. You just saw the condition. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Are you hearing me today? Yeah. What do we do with that? The rock is not, nor will it ever be, a traditional house the rock is not nor will it ever be a house full of perfect people if we get to the place where every single person has everything right we have failed as long as there is even one outside the walls that doesn't I don't want in this ministry after 21 years I don't want a house that is filled with perfect God-fearing people I want a house that has God-fearing people that see through the conditions and see the possibilities of the people that come in here that don't quite fit the mold of the one you would want sitting at your dinner table When we can begin to look past those conditions and we can begin to say, boy, Adam has a really hard time with this one, but Christ says, let him without sin cast the first stone. If I can see this person, I can see the possibilities in this person. That is the most important part of every encounter Christ had all through Scripture the most important part of your original connection, the first moment you ever had with Christ, the most important part was He looked at you and He said, I don't see what you carried to my table. I see what you carry in your heart. I don't see what you hold in your hand. I see... What you hold in your heart, in the possibilities that are there. So I ask, I'm going to begin. I want every kind. Now listen. I'm asking the Father. Bring every kind. I want every Mary Magdalene that lives in Seminole County to come to the Rock. I want every rascal that lives, I want, every, I want them to know you come to the Rock. And I don't want them to believe for a second if I walk into that building, the roof will fall down. I want them to believe for a second when I walk into that place, those people are going to receive this idiot just like I am. In fact, I take, I'm going I'm to restate that. Not an idiot. We're going to see them for who they are, for who Christ made them to be. Now, here's the, the second part. First part is, he had compassion on the crowds. And the second part of that is, he said, if they're hungry, I will not turn them away. Now when they come, and let me say it this way, as they come, and through time, they're not pursuing after the Father. Can I tell you what your and my responsibility is? It's not to say to them, "Mm, we gave you three weeks, you're out. We demonstrate faith past believing. And say, Holy Spirit, it's up to you. Because while it didn't look promising today, Who knows what might happen next week. So now what do you do? What do you do? Do you avoid them? When they come in, they stink. They're wretched. Do you avoid them? They're disruptive. I hope you're hearing me. They don't look like you. They don't dress like you. They don't act like you. What do we do then? We go to them. Before you would even go to the person you've known for years, you go to them first. Welcome. To the rock. The kingdom of God is here. Do you hear me today? Have you heard what I've said to you today? So when you look at somebody, when you walk out of this place, you go wherever you're going, you're going to a restaurant, you're going wherever you're going today, and you look at them, what are you going to see? Can we say, Father, renew this mind? I do not want to see the conditions. Because He didn't. So many. How many of us in this room, I don't know the number, I don't know the number, but He does. How many of us in this room would any of us have walked up to that woman and said, where's the pile of rocks? I'm going to get the big one. How many of us would have gone to the woman at the well and said, yeah, your fathers do worship over there because they're stupid? How many of us Would have gone to the tomb of Lazarus and said, yeah, he stinks. What are y'all doing? Let's get out of here, man. This is about to get bad. And y'all are pathetic because you don't have any faith. You're supposed to be church people. How many of us would have gone into the courtyard of the temple and said, hey, everybody needs to make a buck. Sacrifice is a sacrifice. A bird's a bird. Whether it comes through a guilty hand or an innocent hand. If a bird's a bird, I need a bird. You got a bird, I'll take it. Can we ask Holy Spirit to help us? See, I don't want to be just another church or another assembly of churches. I want to be one that is actually impacting not just believers, but people who don't. Dirty folks. I want to impact the folks everyone else has given up on. Churches have kicked them out. The ones that are a threat. That's what I want, AJ. How many of you want that? How many of you can do that? Can you? Because we're going to find out. Because we're going to invite people. I don't care who they are. Stop trying to limit folks because of the condition of their life. Let's get them in here. I don't accept homosexuality, but I sure accept that person. I don't accept drug drug addiction, but I sure accept the person. I can look past it. What good is it for me to say to them, you're filthy. You're disgusting. Where's the life in that? What happens when we go to them and we say to them, Hmm, I have an opportunity for you? I don't have to even. Here's a cool thing about Christ. When he went to the woman and she was about to be stoned, he didn't say to her, Let me just tell you about all the ways that you've sinned and then let's let me tell you all the ways you can get that right. He just said, I know what you've done. Now go and sin no more. And she went, she came back, and she didn't sin anymore, and she didn't go anywhere. She stayed with him. Because she saw, this man believes in something in me I haven't even seen yet. So I hope you get what I'm telling you today. About who the rock is and what the rock is. I want to line this building with reprobates. I want those who believe God to be outnumbered. I want alcoholics in here. Now, you might not. And if not, this isn't the place for you. If you don't want them here, I want them and not you. I want the pedophile, I want the adulterer and adulteress. I want the one who is as far away from God as the east is from the west. Because the only way we're going to change their life is when we become a demonstration to them and we stop sticking our finger in their eye. Yeah, right. Do you hear me today? Let me tell you what we're called to is the rock. We're called to a higher standard. It's not my role, nor my responsibility, nor yours. It is not our role or responsibility to decide who's in and who's out. It's our responsibility to be a demonstration and His voice. Can we do that? Yeah. So I'm hoping that when they come, and I've said something similar to this before. But before they come, there has to be a consensus. There has to be agreement. There has to be what we've talked about, what Kaylee talked about a couple of weeks ago. There has to be a unity In this house, for lack of a better statement, I'm going to use what would be considered a cliche, but there's truth in it. This house is going to do the work of the Lord. And the work of the Lord was to see what others did not. So I can tell you, if I'm looking at you today, and that's everybody in this room, I see you. I don't know about you online. I can't see you. I see a lens. But I love you. And you matter to me. But what really matters to me is that you don't get hung up and believe that somehow your Christianity is only safe because you're not around people who aren't. I need you to be so secure in who you are that you are really called to something so much greater than what we currently have. This is awesome. But it really comes up short for the whole glory of God. So, what say you? Two things again. He had compassion on the crowd, and he was unwilling to send them away hungry. The most important part is that he did not see the condition. He saw the opportunity because the relationship was more important to him. Getting to that place was more important to him than focusing on the broken parts. As the relationship grows, the broken parts begin to be restored or replaced the church is always trying to fix people's broken parts so that they can be a part of the church. The Father is just trying to fix the lack of relationship knowing that in relationship what's broken will be restored. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, what a great, great day.